Going Linux, episode 376, Switching from Windows and Upgrading to Linux, part 1. Welcome to the Going Linux podcast. I'm your host, Larry Bushy. And I'm your co-host, Bill. Whether you are new to Linux, upgrading from Windows to Linux, or just thinking about moving to Linux, this podcast will provide you with valuable information and advice that will help you in going Linux. We hope that you find this and all our episodes helpful in learning about Linux and open source applications and using them to get things done. In today's episode, switching from Windows and upgrading to Linux. Hello, Bill. Hello, Larry. Good morning, good evening, good day. Yes, <laughs> I think we've covered all the time zones, so we're good. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, so what's what's new in the world of distro hopping these t- days? You trying something new? I am. I'm running uh, Zorin uh, Core right now. Okay. Uh, decided to give it a whirl. Uh, I kept hearing about it. I've kind of resisted it because I, I was under some misconceptions about I thought you actually had to pay for it, uh, but that's not really their model. They have a core, which is uh, the exact same base, and you know you can get all the applications that you get on the Ultimate, but the Ultimate offers you some, some support, and they have some, some custom um, desktops that they've developed. And it's not really um, that expensive. I think it's like $39 if you decided you, you wanted it. But I decided to go with uh, the core because I wanted to see what the free product offered, see if it was crippled. And it's not. It's based on Ubuntu 18.04.2. I believe that's what they said it is. Uh, it comes with three desktops. Uh, they comes with, I guess I'll just call it the Zorin desktop, which reminds me very much uh, of uh, like a Windows 7 desktop. And mm-hmm. the uh, then it comes with uh, two others that I was interested in, because the, the one that installed by default is the one I wanted. So, the, the cool thing about the core is that you have the access to the same repos. Uh, it's not crippled in any way. And you can install uh, everything that's on the Ultimate, but you just have to do it yourself, basically. I'm working on a review of it. Uh, I want to kick the tires a little bit more. But so far, I've been very, very impressed with it. I'm also running a deep-end Linux on the test machine right now because Fedora crapped out on me. And oh, crapped no. out, Crapped out hard. Right, it kept getting these weird errors, and just from updates and icons wouldn't uh, respond, and it would freeze. And I'm like, "What's going on?" I mean, because this is just basically a, um, you know, it has Intel through the whole system. There's no proprietary cards in it. You know, there's no AMD cards or no Nvidia cards. You know, I was using it as kind of a storage, though, you know, to burn my ISOs, or when I say burn them, put them on USB sticks. But it got to even, it was throwing errors for that. I had a, a, a stick that I was using quite a bit to you know, try out different distributions. And what happened is it, the stick kept coming up errors. So I couldn't figure out why. 
and so I uninstalled and reinstalled the application and kept doing it. And so I said, I wonder what's going on. Now, there's a lot of updates that come for Fedora, and I don't really think that it's Fedora's fault, or it might be. Um, but the Red Hat, the RPM curse hit me hard, and it could, there's updates. And so it wouldn't let me, anytime I tried to open the update manager, it crashed. Uh, restarts. That's not a help. good thing. <laughs> no, I went and I, I really tried to fix it because uh, I wanted to see if I could, and I could just never get it to to let me do the updates. But it just kept going and going. And Fedora does update it very, very quickly. You know, just constantly because it's you know bleeding edge. So uh, I decided I need something that a little bit not quite that um, cutting edge. Um, Fedora did well, but it just seemed like the system performance degraded and degraded and degraded. And um, I look out, open up the resource meter, and I'm using like two gigs out, and there's six on the system. Um, none of the uh, cores are, are maxed. Um, so I, I just didn't know what was going on. So what I did was I uh, I had a, a deep end Linux on. I just threw it on there just to see if it was a hardware problem because you know the machine was given to me. If it dies, I haven't lost anything. Right. And so far, uh, it's been running for probably about six seven days it's gotten some updates and it is just sitting there humming along it's very quick um so it might have might have been an update problem i don't know we choose fedora you're not exactly uh picking like a long-term support for ubuntu so you kind of you kind of got that <laughs> in your mind so if it does go south you you ask for it <laughs> so yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> so that just underscores even further that it's not a distribution that we can recommend for new users. No. So getting back to Zorin, so I was looking for uh, an Ubuntu-based, and I was looking for um, uh, more of a boutique um, distro based on Ubuntu. Mm -hmm. And, of course, you know, when I say boutique, I just mean it's a small distribution. And I wanted one that was around a while. So... Uh, you know, you have Mate's been around, but Zorn's been around for 10 years. Mm -hmm. So if, and if something was to, you know, blow up and they closed up shop and they never produced anything again, I could go right back to Ubuntu, Ubuntu Mate, uh, uh, Bud, uh, Budgie, uh, XFCE, you know, it, without any issues. It just have to be a little different, but, you know, things would still work like, you know, I could always go back to a long uh, LTS. I could always, you know, if I want to be a bleeding edge, I could, you know, use the uh, uh, one of the um, intermediate releases for Ubuntu. So, yeah, the interim releases. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What would you say they were? Interim. The, yeah, interim. That's right. So, uh, it was a good learning experience, but I just don't like how Fedora uh, operates. You know, we've I've had problem with RPM distributions even before I had this uh, cranky Alienware of mine. Um, you know, we had problem with SUSE, uh, had problem with other versions of Fedora. I even had problems with PC Linux OS, which I like a lot, but I think that might start not being such an issue once the flat packs and snaps are, are 
just the default way to get applications in it, then you're not really playing with that at that much. So we shall see. Uh, but so far, Zorn's worked really well. I sent you a screenshot of it. You know, you kind of yeah. got the idea. That's just the core. And, it, you know, like I said, NVIDIA is working well. The nice thing is it has Litris, which is you can uh, install it from the repositories, which install it was like a one-click install of Guild Wars 2. And I'm like, wow, and it works, no issues. So I was very, mm-hmm. very pleased with it. So, yeah, enough of my ramblings. So I'll let you know how Zorin goes, and we'll see if Zorin survives another couple weeks. Yeah, and if if it does, then maybe we can have a bit of a review on it. I'm kind of interested in the core version without you yeah. know which is the free version that has the gnome interface you've got a light version that has xfce but the core version i'm kind of interested you mentioned that it comes with two of their uh, custom desktops and i see that on their website they list them as the windows like interface and then there's something they call a touch desktop that comes with yeah. core but they offer on the ultimate uh, a Mac OS like one, a Windows one, a Linux one they call it, and touch screen layouts. I'm kind of interested if they give you the flexibility of configuring all that yourself if you want to, and then if you pay them, they provide all those things for you, or whether there's something locked down on it. It does say it's free as in freedom operating system, so I'm yeah. assuming that they let you do anything you want to do with it. Well, the, yeah, the underlying system is is 1804 Ubuntu. Right. Okay. So you're going to have the long-term support that you were with that you would get with Ubuntu. But mm-hmm. you also have access to all of the packages in the repositories, plus their repositories. I think mm-hmm. when they say free is in freedom, uh, they make it uh, dead simple to get your your NVIDIA drivers uh, for your card. Sure. Uh, they, they don't they, distribute them, but they make it easy to get them. Yeah. They, it's like, if you want it, click this button type of deal. Yeah. Um, and I, I wanted to let people know that you're not buying the software, you know, for Zorin. You're, you're paying for support. It's like a Red Hat model. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Where, yeah, you know, yeah. If you have problems, you get priority email support. Also, you have they've made some. If you would like to have these extra decks, uh, desktops that they've worked on and and made sure the theming works and make sure it's very friendly and easy, you know, and you, and you don't want to do a lot of salt. Yeah, it's worth thirty nine bucks. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it's yours. It's free software and software that runs natively on Linux, which we'll be talking about today. That. All in all, you're not buying the software like you're not buying a license. You're buying uh, support and uh, their development effort uh, in making this a very user-friendly system. And they've been working on it since they've been teenagers, so they've mm-hmm. been around a while. Too. Yeah, anyway. absolutely. So moving on to our show yeah. topic that we threatened to do earlier. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't do it because I asked you a question. Yeah. A review of uh, Zorn is forthcoming. And one last thing, I did reach out to the developers, and I haven't heard back from them yet, but I only sent them an email a few days ago. So I asked them some questions, so hopefully they'll get back and we can include that as part of the uh, the, uh, review. In today's show, 
we're going we're starting a series on how to switch from Windows and upgrade to Linux. We're going to break the process down into easy steps. Right, and we like easy steps. In this yes. process, we will be easing you into open source applications and then finally Linux. We're going to offer guidance on how to proceed and our goal is to make this a fun learning process as you take this journey with us. In this show, we're assuming that you're you're running Windows, whether it's Windows 7, Windows 8, or Windows 10. So you might have been thinking about trying Linux and this thing called open source, but have no clue on how or if you can even get started in it. No worries. We're going to be here to help you. We're going to start with the basics of open source applications you might already know or you might even be using right now. Yeah, and if you browse the internet, you might find that you are already using things like Firefox. And, well, that's an open source application. Firefox is one of the better known open source applications. There are also things that you might use every day on your computer, like Thunderbird email. And then we have programs that use parts of open source to get things done, like Discord and even the Chrome browser. Open source is everywhere. So today, we are not going to ask you to switch to Linux. And there was silence from Larry. Yep. <laughs> We're going to take this real easy. Uh, we want you to try some open source applications and applications that can be used that might be open source or might be uh, closed source or use only parts of open source. But what we're trying to do is to get you used to programs that can be used both in Windows and Linux. So, And we want to let you play with them, get familiar with them. So should you choose to try Linux, the programs that you've already been using, they'll be there for you and it will make you feel right at home with your new OS. Right. So let's start with browsers. The browser is where you're doing a lot of work and play these days. So if you choose one of these, you can pick uh, right back up where you left off when you move from Windows to Linux. So the first is the Chrome browser. It's available for both Linux and Windows. Firefox browser. It's Linux and Windows. The Opera browser. It's Linux and Windows. And there are actually many more. Uh, yeah, but those are kind of like the the big three, I would say. Yeah. They've got some more that I believe that are uh, like Brave. Uh, Mm -hmm. uh, is one that's more focused on privacy. So the, the, we're just trying to give you some basic ideas about these. So, right. yeah. If you're using Windows, you're either using Internet Explorer or you're using Edge. And you might have already installed Chrome because somebody <laughs> suggested that it's faster yeah. or Firefox because it's faster or because there are some additional features in it or because the websites that you're trying to go to don't don't support the Microsoft browser for certain features or certain functions. So, yeah, Chrome and Firefox are probably the ones that most Windows users 
would be familiar with if they're not using Internet Explorer or Edge. And we would suggest switching over to one of those on your existing Windows system before you even think about moving to Linux, just to get familiar with what features are available, how it works, how it differs from um, IE or Edge, and just get try it out and use it. Use it for a while. Yeah, and uh, just so um, everybody knows, there is a completely open source uh, Chrome browser called Chromium. If mm -hmm. you, for some reason, don't want to use the Google proprietary uh, Chrome, now we know that Chrome is not 100% open source. We know we know that we we're just giving you options that we know these applications work on both Linux and Windows. And apparently, Microsoft finally got around to saying, "Hey, no one likes our Edge. You know, we said this was the greatest. So, and everybody uses Chrome." Because I think they said Chrome has like 70% of the market share. So what they do, we're going to build our our new, uh, as Mary Jo Foley on Windows Weekend calls it, Credge on Chrome. <laughs> so, so, so the it, new it, Edge it, will be based on Chrome. Yeah, yeah, it is, and uh, and I, I still love the name Credge. So you know they they've realized that Chrome and Firefox, you know, they they, they tend to be the the biggest market share, so you really can't go along with those. Um, yeah, and you mentioned you mentioned Chromium being the yes. fully uh, open source version of it. I think people who are using Windows today are less concerned about that, and so I would recommend going straight to Chrome. And if after you've moved to Linux, you decide you know I want to get rid of all of my proprietary software, then you can move to uh, a, another browser, whether that's Chromium or whether that's something else, but at least move to Chrome or move to Firefox and then you don't have to think about it. Yeah. Uh, one last thing on the browsers before I move on to the office suites is that Chrome works on uh, a lot, a lot of like the uh, Netflixes, Amazon primes, uh, you know, those type of um, you know, streaming services. I've had mm -hmm. issues with Firefox but Chrome just works, and so I, I, you know, I guess they have all the the uh, magical bits behind the scenes that work. Uh, I'm sure Firefox will, but I've I've just found that Chrome just works. Yeah, and and I just want to get things done, so that's the one that I use. I mean, that's usually one of the very first things I install. I know my Google's evil, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, but we're not going to talk about that. So anyway. Yeah. Yeah, and there's a there's a running joke amongst Linux users that the only thing Edge is good for is for downloading Chrome. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> okay. So our next uh thing we're going to talk about is the office suites. And sometimes you just got to do those boring reports or those really impressive Excel spreadsheets. So here are four of the uh, four mm. office suites. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> that work on both Windows and Linux. So the first one is OpenOffice. The next one, the one I like to use is WPS Office. Then we have FreeOffice. I think Larry likes that one. Yep, I and, do. And and then there is uh LibreOffice. Um Every one of these is a um, 
is a very good office suite. They will get you can get things done. Uh, you can write your reports, you can do spreadsheets, etc. With that caveat, uh, I also want to say, hey, uh, there's some of these that do it a little better. I find for my for me because I have to use Excel spreadsheets for work, WPS has worked flawlessly. It's been able to talk, write, you know, read. I haven't had an issue. Um, what's your experience on the free office, Larry? Has it worked pretty much flawlessly for you? Yeah, so far, it has, and I haven't been using it that long, I have to admit, but uh, it is touted as a version that has better compatibility with Microsoft's Office product, like WPS is, and so far, I found that that claim is true. Now, what you'll find if you are actually switching to Linux, most older Linux distributions will be using OpenOffice, but most of the more recent releases of even the older versions of Linux have switched over to LibreOffice. Uh, but WPS Office and FreeOffice will be available for installation, either from the software repositories that are by default provided for you by the Linux distribution, or they'll be available from the FreeOffice or WPS Office website. And there are many, many other Office suites out there. We're just oh, yeah. highlighting some of the ones you might want to start with as a current Windows user thinking about moving to Linux and wanting to try something on Windows that will also work on Linux once you do make the switch. So any of those four that we've mentioned, LibreOffice, FreeOffice, WPS Office, OpenOffice, will work. We have tried them, and they work just fine. Yes, and also really cool... WPS Office is available as a Snap and a Flatpak, and I believe I saw FreeOffice as a Snap. So yep. if you're running an Ubuntu-based system, then you can just go to the Snap Store or go to FlatHub, and if if you've enabled the Flatpak, some some distributions, uh, uh, well, Zorin has both. I can do flat packs or snaps, but you can also, since it's Ubuntu based, uh, if you're running Ubuntu Mate, you can enable flat packs and go right on and use that too. So it's really, it's really cool. You can keep them up to date. They use it to current versions and they work really well. Uh, LibreOffice is usually, like Larry said, standard on almost all the modern OSs, unless you get one that's really bare bones and you install everything that you just want. And I've seen LibreOffice as a snap as well. And we have should you? Probably, yeah, I have. And uh, we should probably take a second and uh, assuming that this episode is being listened to by Windows users, snaps and flat packs are alternative ways of installing software applications specifically designed for Linux. And there are so many different kinds of Linux out there that these two package formats are attempting to have a common um, uh, installation method across the various Linux distributions. Um, each of them, each Linux distribution tends to have its own way. Uh, not everyone is unique, but there are enough out there that are different from one another that it was worth coming up with a standardized way. And flat packs and uh, snaps are 
two, quote, standard uh, across-platform ways of installing applications on Linux. And if you install the accessory for Windows, you can use those same things to install them on Windows. But they, you know, there are native EXE or MSI installers for Windows available for these uh, Office suites that we're talking about here. And that's probably the easiest way for a Windows user to get started. Yeah, just to kind of just add just a little more information, um, Larry's 100% right there. They're trying to create basically a common uh, ecosystem that you can use across any distribution to get the software you needed without having to worry about these RPMs or DIBs. Um, those are the packages that certain distributions used for installing applications. And they do this by putting them in, uh, just think of a box. They throw everything that that you need to run that application in that little container. And you just download the container and it just works. You know, they're, they're updated. They're kept current. So they're really um, a good way to not have to worry about dependencies and stuff like that. And uh, for Windows users, current Windows users, you don't have to think about any of that until you actually made the switch to Linux. So don't worry about it. But we're not uh, asking you to switch to Linux today. That's right. That's right. <laughs> okay. So, Bill, we can surf the web now uh, and we can do office work. What about some of the more fun things like watching home movies or listening to music or maybe I just want to talk to my friends and family across the country or even across the world? What do we have that's open source software for Windows that will allow me to do that. Larry, I have got you covered. All right. I thought you might. Yeah. We have VLC, which is basically the gold standard for a video player. Uh, for those home movies or even those DVD files that you ripped and they're sitting on your hard drive. Uh, we also have a native Linux client for Spotify. And Spotify has millions of users, so... It's a good chance you have it. And if you don't, you can still sign up for a free account and listen to music on Spotify. And we have an open source Pandora client called, uh, I can never say this thing right. Uh, I think it's called Pithos. It's P-I-T-H-O-S. And that enough. lets you. Close enough. Yeah, <laughs> close enough. And that lets you listen to your Pandora subscription. So you got two of the, the biggest music uh, streaming service, uh, services covered. And for the video and voice chat, well, Larry, we have two that I would say are pretty much, again, the gold standard. We have Skype, and then we have Discord. And we use Discord to record our show. Uh, we used to use Skype, but uh, Microsoft did some funky things that was interfering with our recording, so Discord seemed to work out better for us. So I think we're kind of well taken care of on, on on this front. What do you think? Yeah, I think so as well. I mean, as far as voice and video chat, there are other options from Google and from other sources out there. But Skype is for, probably for a Windows user, the one that most users are familiar with. And you can get a client for Linux that will run Skype. And yeah, that's probably if you don't want to switch from a Microsoft product, that's probably your best option. And uh, other than that, Discord's another way to go. And we've discussed Discord before on the show, not in a lot of detail. We haven't discussed how to install it or anything like that. But yeah, so it looks like we've got browsing, music or entertainment and office work covered. 
uh, along with video and voice chat. So let's stop there for now and let people explore these applications before we move on to suggesting more in our future episodes. Yeah, uh, since we're breaking these uh, these episodes down into smaller, like a bite size here, try these, see how you like it, find ones you like. Here, now try these. So we're trying to just kind of uh, lead you along, um, get you used to it. So, you know, Larry, I know some people might be wondering, why are we advocating for a switch? I think this would be a good time to explain a little more to the listener. Yeah. So now that we've given some applications for you to try, um, I think it's time to provide some of the insights that we've gathered over the years as to why computer users actually make the switch from Windows to Linux. Well, to add insult to injury, Windows users sometimes have to pay for new accessories like printers and document scanners and even new models of their computers to replace perfectly functioning old models that require software that is no longer compatible with the, quote, upgraded version of the Windows operating system. Because of this, that promise of a, quote, free upgrade from Windows 7 or Windows 8 to Windows 10 has, in fact, turned out to be anything but free. In fact, it can be just as expensive as previous Windows upgrades have been. Yeah, uh, as uh, we've heard from other podcasts that, that um, Microsoft said, hey, we're going to upgrade you for free, but they say for the support life cycle of the hardware, but they really don't tell you what the support cycle is for the hardware. And they're running, t- and some people now are running into the um, problem is that they can't, go to the next version of Windows because Microsoft decided that they don't want to support that chipset anymore. So that might be <laughs> a little bit of a problem. Your, your hardware is still working fine, um, but they just don't support that chipset, so you cannot get to the next version of Windows 10. And we're not talking about not supporting like old 32-bit processor chips. Uh, yeah, Linux does that as well, but we're talking about fully functional, uh, 64-bit, fairly recently released processors or other kinds of chips that hardware that may be in your computer, uh, just dropping support for it and requiring that in order to continue to use Windows 10 uh, and get updates uh, or move from Windows 7 or Windows 8 to Windows 10, requiring that you get a new computer. Yeah, and we are going to be very honest here. It is not safe to run a system that is not getting its security patches or updates. The Internet is full of malware, viruses, and exploits, and... You know, that's why they always have the Patch Tuesdays. I mean, they just patched a lot of critical um, vulnerabilities in Windows just a couple weeks ago. So, you know, it's not safe, even if you're running Windows 10, to run a, a version that's no longer supported. Always, always, always keep your systems updated. Yeah, and that goes beyond just Windows systems. That goes oh, yeah. for Linux as well, and it goes for 
the Mac operating system and for Chrome. Um, if you are not receiving software updates, you need to do something, whether that's upgrade to an available version of the operating system you're using or uh, change hardware if you have to, you know, get a new computer if you have to, or install another operating system that does support the hardware that your current operating system isn't supporting anymore. And that's what we're talking about here for Windows users. Before we started the podcast, I was mentioning that my Chromebook that I bought a few years ago presented me with a nice little dialogue when I went to log in um, uh, the other day. And it said that this particular Chromebook version is no longer supported by the Chrome operating system. So I'm not going to use it anymore. Yeah, but it's only a couple years old, right? Two or three years old? Uh, it's probably more like three or four years old. So it's it's an older model, granted, but it's still functional. Yeah, but it's not... Uh, supported anymore, so therefore, yeah, you, know, you don't want to use something like that, right? And it's an older ARM processor, so it's not like it's really easy to install Linux on there. But uh, I'll see what I can do with it. I really hate to throw out good hardware, as many of our listeners will attest. <laughs> so, in addition to common and well-founded concerns around security. We often receive questions and comments from Windows users who have over time become more and more dissatisfied with Microsoft's operating system. It seems that after purchasing and installing a new version of Windows or more likely purchasing a new computer with the upgraded operating system pre-installed, the users are finding that they have to repurchase newer versions of the same software applications that they already own, just to have them work with the upgraded version of Windows. Switching to online cloud-based software applications might at first seem to be a practical alternative, but these applications are often less capable and at least as expensive, especially after a year or more of paying monthly subscription fees. Right, and what about those security concerns? Today, Microsoft provides comprehensive updates with malware protection built into Windows. Most computer manufacturers who supply Windows with their hardware seem to feel that they must also provide additional third-party anti-malware and antivirus software to provide adequate support to their users. Although admirable that automatic updates are provided, Windows users report that the way Microsoft is implementing the update system often forces a reboot right in the middle of their workflow. The fact that sometimes there are updates with multiple restarts that cannot be stopped or postponed leave the computer unusable for a half an hour or more, uh, and that sends Windows users looking for alternatives that would allow them to stay productive all day long without having to pause for a long period of time and take a break from their work is probably on a deadline somewhere to get things done. <laughs> well, Microsoft has addressed some of the, um, you know, we're going to update your computer now, whether you're working on that uh, massively impressive Excel spreadsheet that you have to have for your meeting. Uh, they give you the ability to pause updates um, right now, but that's a relatively um, new 
uh, feature, you've always been able to pause it for, I think it was like um, a day or something like that. And then they increased it. And then they, now you can, uh, I believe, I, I heard someone tell me that you can pause the updates for 30 days. But you have to go in every seven days and hit the button saying pause for another seven days. Yeah. And the problem is you could you can pause the updates, but once that timer is timed out, it's going to do the update. And then oftentimes you can't pause the restart. And I've been on conference calls where someone has said, I've sorry, I've got to drop. My computer is restarting. Oh, right in the middle of a conference call. Because <laughs> you didn't good, catch the not, little button. <laughs> exactly. Not a good thing. They've they've tried to make this a little better. They tried to say, hey, you know, we're going to set when your computer's being used during these hours. We'll try not to do updates. But um, the whole the whole thing is, you should get the updates and you should install them. But sometimes it's just not a good time to install them. You know, yeah. for whatever reason, if you're working on a big project um, and you need to make sure that nothing changes on your computer and it's going to be more than a month. You know, you probably would like to just pause those updates until you get things done. Because if you're working on a piece of software, you're working on a project that you just can't afford to have anything change on the system. Uh, it might not be your best thing with, um, with Linux. You're able to say, oh, yeah, okay. I see I have updates, but right now is not a good time. And they'll sit there, and the little icon will show you they have updates, but you get to choose when you want to install them. Uh, unless you've told this system to go ahead and just automatically uh, uh, install them without you, you know, talking to it. So, yeah, I, I have mine set up where I have to actually say yes, install. You know, um, usually I, it involves me entering uh, my password. I usually wait a day or so. I don't wait too much more than that uh, for updates <laughs> uh, to, to install them. But every once in a while, I'm like, you know, especially if I hear there's might, there might be a certain hardware giving you a problem, whatever, I might say, ah, let me wait an extra day or two just to see if they get this thing <laughs> fixed. Uh, do you install all your updates automatically uh, as soon as they come out, or do you wait a day or so, Larry? I have the setting on my Linux computer so that it uh, automatically installs any security updates. Okay. And any other updates like to applications and so on, I have it so that I can go and install them whenever I want to. And that's the way I handle it. I get the reminders that there are updates available, but I don't have them installed automatically unless they're security updates of some sort. Yeah, that's how mine's set up. Security updates get installed automatically. Uh, yeah. But application uh, updates, you know, stuff like that, uh, I, I I have to go in and say, yeah, I want these. Yeah. So, yeah, it gives you a little more control over how your system operates. And let, let's face it, you've paid your money for your machine. You should be able to run things when you want them to run, not when you're kind of uh, forced to. And one of the things that has always irritated me about... Windows uh, 10, the home edition, is mm -hmm. Microsoft uses that group of users as guinea pigs. You know, 
and they make no bones about it. It's like we're going to push these out, and we're going to change features. Um, you know, they're on this. Let's change things. Um, you know, to keep it fresh looking stuff. And sometimes uh, you have uh, people that just want their system to look the same as it did when they installed it. They don't want to change. They don't want uh, a bunch of uh, things uh, moving around. They don't want a new interface. They just want to get in there and use to get things done. Or they've said, I like it just the way it is. Don't touch it. But Microsoft has the ability to say, oh, by the way, this new version, we're moving all the buttons to the right or we're moving it to the top or whatever. I'm being sarcastic here, but you really, since you don't really own the software, you license it. If you read their licensing agreement, it basically says, hey, we reserve the right to pretty much do what we want with this. You know, thank you for paying us the money to let it and we're going to let you use our software but it's not sold as licensed. And so, right. yeah, I, I tend to like to uh, have a little more control over that as far as licenses and stuff, which we'll get into at a later time. It's really beyond the scope of this one. And that will be one in our series. We'll kind of explain the differences. But anyway, I think we kind of beat that one to death. Yeah, we've we've talked about what bugs us as former Windows users uh, about Windows. And we've talked about what we've heard from our listeners and from others about what bugs them about uh, Windows and what drives them to think about using something other than Windows. And we've talked about some of the software that's available for use on Windows that is also available on Linux so that you can begin using them now and make a switch to Linux if you choose to do so later. Things we've talked about on this episode are browsers and office suites and entertainment applications. And there's much more. What do you have in mind, Bill, for the next uh, part two of this series? So part two, uh, I want to build up, uh, build upon a few more of uh, applications as far as um, quality of life, you know, recording uh, audio, uh, organizing your your pictures, transferring files, ways to back up your your important files. So quality of life features that make things um, easier to uh, use it to get things done in Linux and not have to, you know, figure out, okay, how do I organize my, all these 4,000 vacation pictures and how do I share them with people? Right. So that's kind of where we want to go with that. And then we want to give them plenty of time to say, hey, you know what? I like this one, so I'll start using this. So after we've given them enough time to actually use it and see if they like the applications that are available on both Windows and Linux, then I thought we would go ahead and cover, okay, this is what you're going to need. You're going to, you know, most of the computers nowadays don't come with DVD drives anymore. So most of these distros uh, will need to be burned to a USB stick. So before you know we get to that, we'll say, if you want to do this, you will require these things. You'll need to get download the distro of your choice. Uh, you'll need a uh, you'll need this program, and we're going to tell you how to use this program, and we'll tell you how to use another program because there's several different ones that are really good. 
and then you'll need a USB drive. And then we kind of just step, okay, we've made what we need now. How do you get into the computer to actually get into a live environment and maybe play with it before you even touch your computer? Uh, you know, because you can run a lot of the distros, especially the Ubuntu-based uh, distros, and some Debian's, uh, MX Linux also has a, a desktop that you can run live, and so do a lot of others. But, uh, you know, then now you, now that you have your applications that you like, you've downloaded your ISO, you've burned it to your, uh, your um, USB drive, now you can boot in to the live environment and play around. And if you say, you know what, uh, I don't like this one, I want to try something else, that's great. You can try another one. But you can do all that well without affecting your Windows system because we, we want to kind of do it in uh, uh, bite-sized steps. And we don't want anybody to go to Linux or not know how to go to Linux uh, before they're ready. So that's kind of, that's kind of my idea. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And we'll define all of those unfamiliar sounding terms as we go along. So <laughs> yes, don't we worry will. if you didn't understand what Bill was just saying. <laughs> we'll, we'll I define was it as we go out. Along. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's okay. It's, it gives us a good preview of what we're going to be talking about in the future. But until then, our next episode will be listener feedback. And, of course, as always, you can go to our website at goinglinux.com for articles and show notes, as well as links to download and subscribe. We are the website for computer users who just want to use Linux to get things done. And if you'd like, you can participate directly with our friendly and helpful community members by joining the discussion in our Going Linux podcast community on community.goinglinux.com. Until then, thanks for listening. 73. Music provided by Mark Blasco at podcastthemes.com.